Holy Spirit, may Jesus be honoured now as we examine Scripture. Fix him on our hearts and our imagination, we pray, so that we see him and follow him. Amen. <clears throat> More to lose my voice. So in Hebrews 11, over many weeks really, because these things get along the way as well, different weeks like last week was uh, Pentecost Sunday. The writer in Hebrews 11 gives examples of people who illustrate that great statement of Scripture in Habakkuk 2 verse 4. This button. The just shall live by faith. It's quoted three times in the New Testament. All three times by, by Paul, I think. Galatians, Romans, and in Hebrews. And then towards the end of Hebrews 10, Paul quotes that scripture, the just shall live by faith. And then in Hebrews 11, there are the examples of people who do just that. And those, each of those examples gives us another piece of the puzzle. What does it look like to live by faith? There are people who will tell you all kinds of ideas about faith. There's even a faith movement. But the scriptures here tell us this is what it looks like to live by faith. Remember, these, those two words really are interchangeable, just like faith and obedience are interchangeable. Life and faith. The just shall live by faith, and faith is the way they live. So our whole life is one of faith, of dependence upon God, reliance upon God, trusting him, you know, looking to him, believing him, obeying him. Having mentioned certain people in Hebrews 11 from, from Abel, uh, the firstborn son of, of uh, secondborn son of, of, uh, of Adam and Eve, right through to Joshua and Rahab, he then writes this. What more shall I, shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of, the, of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. It's kind of a hall of fame there, isn't it? Hall of fame of faithfulness. The judges, kings and prophets of sim or just simply godly people of Israel and Judah are mixed together here in these kind of descriptions. It was judges and kings in particular who became mighty in war and conquered kingdoms. Some prophets like Elisha put foreign armies to flight without a blow being struck by the Hebrew warriors. God just scattered them, the Syrians and so on. Others escaped the edge of the sword Elijah was delivered from the threats of Jezebel, Elisha from Jehoram, Jeremiah from Jehoiakim. But it was Daniel for whom God shut the mouth of lions and his three fellow Hebrews in Babylon for whom God quenched the power of fire. All kinds of people performed acts of righteousness and obtained promises and from weakness were made strong. Now so far, we like that record of achievement there. People by faith conquering, overcoming, escaping, quenching. It all sounds good, doesn't it? It's like a, a boy's own comic. Hey, here we go. <laughs> Yet notice this, that while their faith is commended, it was God who either enabled them or did the thing for them. 
You can go back and look at two accounts, just Daniel and his three friends, just those two, for a couple of reasons. Let's think about Daniel's friends. We know by their Babylonian names better than their Hebrew names, which I, I can only remember two of those at the moment. Anyway, the names that the king Nebuchadnezzar gave to them were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yes? Okay, no funny jokes on that. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had set up a great big statue, probably of himself, and ordered that whenever a certain piece of music was played and trumpets sounded, everybody had to bow down and worship the image. If they didn't, they would be thrown into a fiery furnace, like a huge pizza oven, but it was people-sized. Three Hebrew men, friends of Daniel, when the music played, refused to bow down to the statue and they reported to the king. So here are the three men standing before Nebuchadnezzar who's given them one more chance to bow as ordered. Music, play, if you bow down, we'll forget about it. Music played, they stood where they were. This is what they said. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The king was enraged. And on his orders, the furnace was heated seven times more. Superheated. And those three men are bound and thrown into the fire. And the men who carry them and throw them into the fire are themselves killed by the blazing heat of the furnace. And the king looks into the furnace and he sees not three men in there, but four. And the fourth figure the king himself describes as being like a son of of the gods. Forgive him, he's a pagan. We can put a capital S and a capital G on that. It was Jesus, the Son of God, walking around in the furnace with the three men. The king sees this and calls to the men to come out to him. And they stand there again, moments, minutes later, before the king, without any sign or even smell of burning on them. Not their hair, not their clothes. It is as if they had never been in the furnace. Here is what the king then said. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel or messenger, capital A, capital M, the angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation or tongue, that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and the houses reduced to rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Wow. Some years later and a few kings later, the king in the empire of those days is now Darius the Mede. And he has been tricked by the enemies of Daniel into issuing a law that no one should pray for 30 days. The penalty of doing so 
was in this case to be thrown into a den of lions. They probably had some lions for the king's entertainment and they, they had them in a cave or something. When Daniel was found to be doing exactly what was against the law, that is to say, every day, every time, the regular times of day, he always did it, he got on his knees and he prayed to the Lord. And his enemies watched for him and reported him. And the king was very sorry because Daniel was a, was a trusted advisor and even to in some extent a friend. And he was, he was distraught that Daniel had been found guilty of this stupid law and had to be thrown into a den of lions. And a sentence was being carried out as he, Daniel was about to be thrown in. This is what King Darius said to Daniel. Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. That's a statement of faith from a pagan king, isn't it? Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. The cover was put on the, the front of the thing, and he was there all night. And the king did not sleep all night. And as soon as it was dawn, he rushed down to the lion's den. And he called out. This is what he said. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to deliver you from the lion's? And from the lion's pit, this was the reply. My God sent his angel, messenger, I would say again, capital M, and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. Daniel was brought out, and his enemies were thrown in. We don't read in Scripture that Daniel prophesied, decreed and declared to the lions. Nor did the three Hebrew men prophesy to the furnace. In both cases, they were prepared to die if necessary, trusting God. And it was God who delivered them. But if he hadn't, they'd have still died in faith. They didn't pull some trick of faith they endured in faithfulness. God sent his messenger, his pre-incarnate son, I believe, to walk in the furnace with the three Hebrew men. He sent his messenger to shut the lion's mouths for Daniel. The Lord didn't take them out of the trial. He brought them through the trial. Let's read on in Hebrews 11. It says this, women received back their death by resurrection. Others were tortured. That's a change, isn't it? Did you feel the temperature drop when we got to that phrase? Women received back their dead by resurrection and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings. They were whipped, they were beaten. Yes, and also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. There's a legend that Isaiah was sawn into. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy wandering 
in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Some women received back their dead by resurrection. There was a poor widow in Zarephath whose son was brought back to life through Elijah. And later, the son of a wealthy woman of Shunem was brought back to life by Elisha. But we're not so comfortable with what follows after that, are we? These people refused to escape suffering and death because of their faith and obedience to the Lord. What if God had not shut the mouth of the lions? What if God had not miraculously delivered the three Hebrew men? They would be in this second list. People who died for their faith in the Lord. Faith that endures. Godly people, both in the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant, because of their faith and obedience to the Lord, were tortured, mocked, scourged, chained, imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two, killed by the sword. They wouldn't accept release but by denying their faith. Deny your faith and you can go free. No, I'll die. It's happened many, many times in history. It's happening in the world still today. Not so many months ago, I don't know if you saw it on the TV. I hope you didn't see the whole video on YouTube. Christian men, 12 of them I think it was, were lined up, given one more chance, deny your faith. They were in orange jumpsuits and when they would not deny their faith and they sang songs of praise and one of the songs is one that we would know. Islamic terrorists beheaded them one by one. They would not deny Jesus. It's still happening today. We need a more grown up attitude about these things. By the time this letter had been written, that included New Covenant, New Testament Christians too. Some of God's people at times had to flee persecution and instead of them, they went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Doesn't sound like prosperity teaching, does it? Many of these godly, faithful people had a truly terrible time. Yet I, I, I love the phrase that follows. The world was not worthy of them. They were too good for this place. What a commendation. Their faith, even in suffering, was more precious than the gold of the world that perishes. They also looked for a better resurrection. You see, it is a simple fact that all the dead will be raised at the command of the Lord Jesus on the last day when he returns. All the dead. But there are two groups in that resurrection. There are those who are raised to eternal life with God in a renewed creation full of his light and his glory where his children shine like the sun in his kingdom. And there are those who are raised to everlasting death and darkness without God. I don't think it takes too many brain cells to figure out what is the better resurrection. Given the two, what would you go for? It's that eternal inheritance of glory and light that these suffering soldiers of faith fought and died to receive. 
going in Hebrews. And all these, having gained approval or commendation through their faith, didn't receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect or complete. We saw when we looked at Abraham and uh, Jacob and Joseph, many of those people of faith did not see in their lifetime what God had promised them. They died in faith, still believing God's promise would be fulfilled. Those promises were all completed in Jesus, Messiah, and we and they inherit together in him. Abraham has received what was promised to him because he is in Jesus. We receive the promises that were made to Abraham because we are in Messiah, Jesus. That's what the scripture says. Uh, Let me put two words in front of you. Success or suffering. A lot of people want the one and don't want anything to do with the other one. But these people that we've just read about here in Hebrews 11 live by faith. Whether in our estimation they suffered or succeeded, it was the same faith. They were faithful. And God approved them for their faithfulness. Whether the circumstances were, 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 were beneficial to them or incredibly difficult for them. They endured in faith. God regards and rewards their faith and obedience and the circumstances or the outcome of their situation is really not the main issue at all. Indeed, those who succeed must learn along the way to suffer too. Faith has to be tested in fiery trials to be approved and to be shown to be more precious than gold. And the faith movement and prosperity teaching, the health and wealth people, are selling you a false narrative. They criticise those who suffer. Shameful thing. Faith is not about building a prosperity portfolio, running a successful business, becoming wealthy. If you think that's what faith is about, please grow up. I don't care who gets upset with me about saying these things. I really don't. You can pull faces at me if you like. won't make a blind bit of difference. I passionately believe these things to be true. Faith must also endure trials and opposition and suffering. I totally reject the name it and claim it, decree and declare stuff that goes on today as being unbiblical. That has more to do with magic than faith. It has bad roots and produces bad fruit. Godly people, like those three Hebrew men and like Daniel, when faced with suffering and even faced with death, have made this sort of declaration. Our God is able to save us from this, but even if he doesn't, I'm not going to deny him. No turning back. No turning back. I think of one disciple of John who was being taken to Rome to suffer and die as a martyr. And he was asked, aren't you afraid? Don't you want to turn back? Don't you want to you know, avoid this? And he said, my saviour has cared for me all these years. Should I now be unfaithful to him and deny him? <laughs> no way. What a saying. 
Should I now be unfaithful to him? Every one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, including, let's for sake of argument's sake, add Matthias into that 12. Every one of them, but John, died for their faith. They were martyred. They were killed as Christians. Every one of them but one. That's what Jesus said, what, if, I, if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? He didn't remain until he came, but he lived on into old age. John died of old age. The others were killed in different parts of the, the Middle East and the Roman Empire, Egypt, maybe India, one of them. They were killed because of their faith. And I hear this kind of nonsense. Oh, I would have had more faith than that. Forgive me, Lord. Almost every New Testament letter makes reference to Christians suffering in some way for their faith in Jesus. And he himself forewarned us to be prepared for it, didn't he? They will persecute you, they will, they, they will criticize you, they'll imprison you, they will flog you. He endures to the end, will be saved. In the previous chapter of his letter to Hebrews, Paul writes that some of his readers in their time had showed sympathy to the prisoners, those who were in prison for faith, including Paul, and they had accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Guess what? They weren't just gaining property, they were losing it because they were Christians. It was being taken from them. They were being robbed because they were Christians. And they were receiving it with joy. When we talk about, I want to be a New Testament Christian, hey, that's the deal. You ready to be ripped off because you're a Christian? You ready to be in prison because you're a Christian? I didn't finish what Paul wrote there. He said, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. What is on offer to us as followers of Jesus, success or suffering? Probably both at different times and in different measures. It depends as to how you view success. Because Jesus doesn't see success how we see success. The person who lays down their life for him, Stephen. Stephen is being stoned to death by the jealous Jewish authorities. And as he's He's been standing with me. He said, I see the heavens opened and Jesus standing. As he's being stoned to death, he prays for their forgiveness. Hold this, hold this not to their charge. He saw Jesus standing to welcome his servant because he was choosing to suffer and even to die as a witness to Jesus. Now, I was talking with uh, MacDonald about this year, the other Sunday. Very rarely in scripture do you read about Jesus standing in heaven but he's standing to receive Stephen. How does God see success? Not like we do. Not like we do. We have a warped idea about what really matters, what's really important. And we love things that can be robbed from us tomorrow, taken from us in a moment. You know the verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me? Let me read that to you in context from Philippians. Paul writing to the Philippians. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern. They'd sent a gift to support him and help him. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content 
in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance and suffering need. Then, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Humble means or prosperity? Being filled or going hungry? Having abundance or suffering need? Actually, whatever comes, I have learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whether success hits me or suffering, I can endure it with Jesus. That's what that scripture means. doesn't matter about the circumstance, so long as he's with me. Real faith endures tests and trials. And when other things are taken away, real faith still says Christ is enough for me. When we get into Hebrews 12, we're going to be looking at why we face trials, because it's God maturing us. It's the discipline of a loving father to correct us and shape us. But for today, I'm going to just dip into the next chapter and say a few things about chapter 12. Because it follows straight on. You see, chapters and verses aren't there in the original Greek. We've put them in so we, know, we can find our way around. And whenever you see a therefore, you've got to find why the therefore is therefore. Because of these great list of godly people, who some saw wonderful things happen which we might call success and others had dreadful things that happened which we would call suffering and yet they are the same people of God whom God commended and approved for their faithfulness. They endured. They are like a cloud of witnesses. All right. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's why I put on that run the race video earlier, which was the scriptures there were taken from one of the Corinthian letters, by the way. But similar passage from Paul. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter or finisher of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, some people picture the cloud of witnesses as being like, you know, the Millennium Stadium or the Emirates Stadium, you know, all these people in heaven are looking down on us. Well, I don't think we need to imagine that. It's scary enough for me that God sees me all the time, all right? But I do think that these examples of faith that the writer has brought in from the scriptures are like you know, a, 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 you know, a, rec- a roll call of, of heroes. But they're a different kind of hero than the one we usually are used to. Heroes who suffered, heroes who died, who would not choose release but chose to suffer instead. There are three letter statements if I can paraphrase them together. Therefore, 
since we have all this record, all these examples, all this encouragement, let us do what? Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. We'll stop there for a moment. I don't know if you ever tried it, but you can't run holding all the week shopping. See some poor lady running for the bus like this. Some of those ladies are strong, eh, man? Three bags in their hands, three bags in their hands. It's hard, isn't it, though? Neither can you live well as a Christian without letting go of your old life. It's called repentance. Being released from your old sins. And anything else that slows you down. There are things that will just slow us down, prevent us making progress in this journey of faith. They have to go. Sins and anything else which slows us down. The way we choose to use our time, the the kind of stuff we read. Whatever it is that slows us down, that holds us back, needs to go. And if you think, well, that sounds a bit radical, David. Let me tell you how radical it gets. Jesus said, if your eye offends, you pluck it out. If your hands offends, you cut it off. Be serious about dealing with things that cause you to stumble, that cause you to trip up. To live as a Christian without ditching the rubbish of your past is a sure recipe for failure. If you hold on to those those things, I'm sorry, but you will stumble, you will trip, you will fall. Baptism is about repentance, remission and release from your old way of life. Everything that falls short of honouring God, all that does not display faith and obedience to him. Lay them aside. Leave them by the side of the track and run. And then it also says, let us run with endurance. It doesn't say speed. This is not how, about how fast you can go. This is about how far you can go. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The Christian life is not a sprint or a dash. It's not even one marathon which you run in a few hours and you can go home and have a nice bath and have a nice meal and go to bed. It's a race that continues every day, day after day. The comedian and actor Eddie Izzard uh, last year, 2016, ran 27 marathons in 27 days in South Africa. That's amazing. Listen, we get to outrun even Eddie Izzard. Thank you. Dominic, <laughs> better preach his encouragement for them. <laughs> Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. When is the race over? When Jesus takes us home, either by our death or by his coming. My friend, you, sometimes the Lord tells me to write things. I think, oh, it's a bit, no, no, I'll trust him. My friend, you may be older, you may be in retirement, but your race isn't over. You're still here, continuing to seek and to serve the Lord. You're still building up treasure in heaven. Let me say that again. You may be older, but you are still building up treasure in heaven. You are adding to your welcome and commendation by the Lord when you see him. And as an example of that, let me quote to you Anna, because I read it in Luke the other day, right? Anna a woman of 84, she'd been, she'd been married 
as a, as a young virgin, lived, had a husband for seven years, and then he died, and she'd lived for the rest of her life, probably, you know, 70-odd years, as a widow, serving the Lord day by day by day. And when Jesus was brought to the temple, 40 days after his birth, she came up and she gave thanks over the child Jesus and prophesied over him. She was 84, my friends. Do you think God might still have something useful for you to do? Who knows what you will yet do for his name? We have many great examples of people who lived by faith, who endured in faith and obedience and even died by faith. But the greatest example is Jesus himself. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. All these great examples, yeah, they're really good, but there's one person we need to fix on completely. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of God. Let's run that by you again. This is what Jesus did. Even in Gethsemane, he was struggling with it. He was praying, maybe there's another way. No, there isn't another way. Nevertheless, your will be done. Your name be glorified, Father. He stepped forward towards the cross and would not be put off by the pain or the shame that he endured. Because there was a joy that was set before him. Did you just read that? There was a joy that was set before him. Do you know what that joy was? The millions and even billions of people today who confess that Jesus is Lord. It's his inheritance. It's his reward. Yeah? He will see the increase of his seed. He will see his reward and be satisfied. That's why Jesus went to the cross, because there was a reward. And when his reward is complete, he'll come. That thing's irritating me. <laughs> it's a bit sticky. Jesus is receiving the reward of his suffering, the joy that was set before him. You endure some things because of the joy coming. You know, uh, a wedding might be a glorious day, but getting ready for it has some little pitfalls and things along the way sometimes. It, there's sometimes some hard work and some hard decisions and things that you have to do. And, and, and let's compare it to giving birth. When the child is born, the baby cries, everybody else rejoices. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Baby's born. Hey, great. And scripture says, and I've seen it, that the mother, having endured the pain of childbirth, kind of puts it there because she's joy-filled with this child. Yeah? For the joy set before them. Jesus endured pain and shame for the joy that was set before them. And here, the Bible is talking to us here of Jesus being our saviour, yes, but also our example. Can you endure present pain for future gain, for future joy? Can you endure present loss for future reward? Or is your attention so short-focused, so short-sighted, that you don't see, I'm investing for something beyond now. I'm laying up treasure for beyond now. We need to look, let me say this, to run well, you need to look up. I mean, I've tried it. If you run and look at your feet, you're going to bang something. I'm known for always banging into things and falling off things, right? <laughs> Bit accident prone. Don't laugh at me. <laughs> 
So, you know, the recipe for heating a lamppost is to watch your feet when you run. Yeah? The recipe for falling off the curb is to only be watching your feet when you run. You need to look up where you're headed. And if you drive looking at the dashboard, you're going to have some trouble. Yeah? What's You need to look up and back and sideways and down and up and up and up. And my dad, when he was teaching me to drive, said, what's happening on the horizon? So we're driving down the road. On the horizon? I'm not there yet. Said, no, what's happening on the horizon? He said, if you're driving a speed on a motorway, you need to see the accident before anybody else has. And you make your decision before you get anywhere near it. The further you can look, of course, you have, to, you have to pay attention to what's nearby too. Of course you do. But the further you can look, the better you can travel. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because the further you look, the safer you'll travel. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Who started you in faith. He's the author of your faith. He's also the finisher of your faith. And he who began a good work in you will, will continue it until the day of Christ. What he started, he will finish. So you set your eye on the goal, which is not even some kind of pride. It's him. It's him. You need to look further than here and now to live well and to run this race of faith. Look to Jesus who finished his course and now rules in heaven. He started faith in us and will complete faith in us. His example is that he enjoyed all sorrow and all suffering for the joy and inheritance that was set before him. And he promises to share his joy and his inheritance with all who follow him. Fix your eyes upon him. I'm not going to say much more on Hebrews 1 and 2 because I'm going to come back to it in a few weeks' time. I want to come to that third, that third verse of Hebrews 12 because I feel that this is pertinent. It has something to say to particular people here this morning. Consider him who's endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This growing weary is mentioned three other times in the Testament, once from the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself. Paul writes to the Galatians, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. In 2 Thessalonians he says, but as for you brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. And then Jesus writing to one of the churches in Revelation says, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. We know from the example of Daniel that it's the Part of the strategy of the enemy, uh, the, the, that's a human enemy, political enemy mentioned there, but of our enemy, the devil, to wear out the saints of God, to grind us down, simply make us tired. You can grow tired of doing the wrong thing. Sorry. I pray God you do get tired of doing the wrong thing. <laughs> I want to rewind and say it right you can get tired of doing the right thing simply because in this fallen world and with a fallen human nature, it's hard to do the right thing. As President Kennedy said in one of his speeches you know, about going to the moon, it seemed like a fairy tale when he said it. We choose to do the hard thing. Christians, every day of your life, you are choosing to do the hard thing, to do the right thing, which is hard. It's not easy. If you choose to do the easy thing, you'll compromise. You'll give in. 
But to do the right thing, you need to choose to do the hard thing. Again and again and again. And you can grow tired of that because the hardness and the difficulty is wearing. But you may also be experiencing hostility from sinners, those who resist you for your faith and obedience to the Lord, those who constantly try to pull you away or pull you down. There is one answer to those two things. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Consider him. Run the race. Endure in faith. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Those people's opinion and even their opposition really don't matter one tick. His example, his presence, his help, his encouragement are all we need. In the end, all we will see, all we will have is him. And if we will learn it, even now, he is all we need now too. Why did I focus on Daniel and his three friends? Because in both of those cases, Jesus was with them. He was with the men in the fire. He was with Daniel in the lion's den. He saved them by his presence. What he came in to do with them and for them. So like David before he was king and everybody was against him. We need to take those moments when we encourage and confront and comfort ourselves in the Lord. When again we come and say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Pour the love of God into my heart. Convince me again of the truths of the gospel. So said, well, that's a, Do you really pray like that? You bet I do. <laughs> you bet I do. And if you don't, why not? Why put up with being weary? Why put up with losing heart? There's a remedy. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Turn your attention to him. Ask for and receive his help and his support. Be assured of what he says rather than what others say. Whose report will you believe? You know that old gospel hymn, song? What is it? What's the reply? Thank you, Carol. <laughs> the rest of you will... <laughs> we will believe the report of the Lord. What does God say about me? What does God say about this situation? The truth is this. He is with us. Even in the trials, even in the suffering, he is with us. We know Psalm 23, don't we? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yet shall I fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Rewind. Even if I'm walking through a valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. For you are with me. Where? In that valley. And even in that valley, his rod and his staff, symbols of his kingship and authority, comfort me. He's in charge. Even when I'm going through my darkest day, he is still Lord. Now go and read Psalm 23. Where am I? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Because when we don't, 
It's like the energy saps away from us. We grow weary. We lose heart. Because doing the right thing is harder. And because people often are not helpful. So we fix our eyes on Jesus. And we encourage one another to do that too. In our times of prayer, in our midweek groups, in talking together over coffee, we encourage one another in the Lord. We don't just give out nice sounding advice. We say, come on, let's, let's keep going. Let's, let's, let's keep trusting him. I've given you today a very different picture than one you will pick up from some sources about what it is to be a Christian because I believe that this is the truth. It's uncomfortable, but it's true. We are called to a life that endures in faith, good times and bad times, hills and valleys. Whether we are sitting in the open sunshine or almost drowning in a flood, of difficulty. He is still the Lord. He is still with us. His covenant, his promises have not changed. So we sing with the old hymn, his oath, his covenant, his blood, support me neath the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. It's all about Jesus. So let me, before we move into breaking bread, just give you this thought. If you have never fixed your focus upon Jesus and said to him, Jesus, would you please take hold of my life and make me yours? I want to be a Christian. I want to follow you. I don't know even how to start, but would you please start? He says he's the author and finisher of our faith. Say to Jesus today, I want you to start faith in me. I want to start a walk of faith towards you today. Let it help you, Lord. Let it start today. Take a moment now and raise a prayer from your heart, very quietly to him, something along the lines of what I've just said. Find your own words. The Bible says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus, he will save. So why don't you call on his name right now? Make your prayer to him. Take a moment. Thank you, Lord. Pray, Father in heaven, you'll hear those prayers from hearts that are yearning, wanting to know you through Jesus, your Son. And answer them today, we pray. Direct feet in your paths. Guard and keep hearts in beginning to trust you and look to you so that Jesus may be honoured by more and more people following him, believing him, loving him. Amen. We're going to break bread again. And uh, 
we had to go out and get some supplies today, so I have to tell you that we have pretty normal bread. Uh, we have a, oh, crackers. Okay, there are crackers there. Don't ask me about gluten. I don't know about that. Okay, but there are crackers there today, and there's some cranberry juice. In breaking bread, we do just what the Bible has said there again. Guess who we're looking to, who we're thinking about when we break bread? Him, Jesus. We remember him. We remember his person. We remember his sacrifice. We remember his resurrection. We thank God that in Jesus, his bloody and blood were given for us, but he's now our risen Lord who is with us. Whether in hill or valley, he's with us. We remember him. We focus on him. So as they say in the Anglican service, feast in your hearts on him as we take bread or crackers and wine and remember him together today.